Welcome to the Nagashima Onotsunematsu Labor Law Podcast. In this format, we discuss typical labor law issues foreign companies encounter when establishing and running subsidiaries in Japan. My name is Axel Kuhlmann. I'm a Germany qualified foreign law partner here at Nagashima Onotsunematsu and have been advising our foreign clients on their legal issues in connection with their projects in Japan for years with a particular focus on M&A, general corporate and employment. With me today is Eriko Ogata, one of our labor law and litigation partners. Eriko, thank you for joining us today. We have worked on quite a number of matters for our foreign clients over the past years, right? Thank you, Axel. Yes, we did. And we saw many of our foreign clients struggle with the Japanese labor law system, not only with the legal system as such, but also the general stance towards employment here in Japan. Keywords like lifetime employment and the company is your family come into mind. Um, this is how the idea was born to provide our foreign clients with basic information on how labor law works in Japan in a brief webinar format to give you a chance to familiarize yourself with the Japanese employment environment, but also to become aware of potential pitfalls. Today's topic can probably be seen as the starting point of, uh, of, uh, of all employment issues. It is the employment contract. Eriko, what are the major points to keep in mind when setting up an employment contract with locally hired staff in Japan? First of all, the contract should be in writing. Although there is no legal requirement to have a written contract, Japanese law requires that the employer informs the employee about the terms and conditions of his or her employment in writing. In practice, this is done in form of a written contract. That makes perfect sense, mm -hmm. of course. What are the essential points that should always be covered in the, in the contract? Yeah, I would say the absolute essentials are starting point, term, place of work, responsibilities, and the tasks, working hours per week and per day, salary, number of vacation days, termination provisions, and disciplinary provisions. Okay, let's start with the term. Employment contracts with term are pretty common in Japan. Terms are usually one year. Mm -hmm. At the end of the term, the contract will expire or be renewed. Of course, there are limitations to this. At a certain point in time, the employee will have a right to renewal or even to get a contract without term. Can you briefly describe what the decisive factors for this are? Sure. It's basically two parallel systems. The first one is right to renewal, which becomes relevant if the employee is deemed to have a reasonable expectation that his or her contract will be renewed. Japanese courts consider this to be the case if the contract has been renewed in the past more than just a few times. There is no clear number of renewals. But that's not the only criterion, is it? No. Courts will look at all circumstances of the individual case at hand, such as what has been communicated to the employee in terms of renewal, is the nature of the tax assigned to the employee temporary or to be carried out regularly and run term? Also, how have renewal procedures been handled in the past? 
For example, if the company discusses such renewal with employee, it can be regarded as an indication against a reasonable expectation that the contract will be renewed. And can the risk be mitigated by explicit language in the contract that each renewer requires the explicit decision of the employer? Yeah, it is recommendable to add such language. However, it does not provide 100% uh, protection, in particular if the contract has already been renewed several times. Yeah, I think there's uh, not so much 100% certainty mm -hmm. in Japanese labor law at the first place. So. Yeah. Um, no, no surprise to hear that. Um, how about how about the right to ask for a contract without term? This is based on the law that was enacted already in 2013, but came into effect only five years later, 2018. Generally speaking, it gives a fixed-term employee who has been employed with the company for five years or longer a right to request that term in his contract be removed. And there's no way for the employer to avoid this, is there? Yeah, in principle, once the five years are reached, the right arises. Uh, basically, the only way to avoid this is to make sure that the employment will be terminated before the five years are reached. This should be taken into account when determining the term of fixed term contracts and the contract renewals. Of course, in doing so, one has to also keep an eye on the potential right to contract renewal, what we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's a tricky situation and it's uh, particularly noteworthy because uh, it is generally extremely difficult to um, to terminate employments in, in Japan. Again, keyword lifetime employment. Uh, you're right. The next item you mentioned is the place of work and responsibilities. I believe here it makes sense uh, to add a sentence that um, responsibilities in place of work can be changed by the employer, right? Yeah, yes, it is good to add such language. Within certain limitations, the employee is indeed entitled to change the place of work and the tasks an employee has to take over. But if such flexibility language is not added, the employee may make an argument that the price of work and tax have been fixed in an exclusive manner when the contract was executed um, and cannot be changed by the employer unilaterally. On the other hand, in addition, it's probably good not to be too specific with the tasks mm -hmm. uh, to, to remain a certain flexibility. Um, but tasks that uh, the employee should perform in any event should probably be mentioned just to make this clear and to avoid discussions down the road. Yeah, you are right. Another important point is working time. I think we will not go into detail here because this is a quite complex topic and uh, we will probably cover it in, in another uh, webinar. But what are the essentials here? Yeah, it's important that the working time is properly allocated and that no working time days are clearly defined. Not only is this a requirement and the statutory law, but it's also necessary to distinguish between regular working time and overtime. Mm -hmm. Yes, because um, for overtime, there's a special remuneration payable. Um, so the distinction is, is, is quite important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also, what we should mention here probably is that there are alternative models to the fixed working time model. That is the, the so-called flex time model. Mm. 
However, the implementation of such flex time model is a little bit complicated um, and it cannot be done simply by referring to it in the employment contract. That's right. But the introduction of a flex time system and working time accounts, the company has to introduce work rules and enter into a labor management agreement with employee representatives or a union. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of work rules, we should probably mention that at least in companies with uh, more than just a few employees, it's quite common practice to implement work rules covering the basic terms of employment. Mm. Um, the implementation of such work rules becomes mandatory if the company regularly employs 10 employees or more. Mm. In principle, this number is calculated based on a headcount and not on a full-time equivalent basis, which is also important to note. Mm. And the work rules then usually also cover the allocation of working time and break time. Yes, that is correct. Of course, deviation from the work rules in the individual labor contracts, not only regarding working time are possible, as long as there is a neutral or beneficial to the employee. A change of the work rules to the disadvantage of the employee is only possible for reasonable reasons and pre-discussion with employees needed for substantial changes. The same applies if work rules are implemented for the first time and contain provisions that uh, to the disadvantage to the employees compared to their individual employment contracts. Which means that one should always be very careful when implementing work rules. Um, work rules are quite a complex system of uh, provisions mm -hmm. and uh, Obtaining proper legal advice is mm. certainly recommendable here. And yeah. I also have the feeling that we should probably do a webinar on this specific topic as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the provisions on the salary uh, are probably a little bit less controversial and less complicated. Uh, that's right. The salary is usually expressed either as an annual amount to be paid in 12 installments or as a monthly amount. More care is required for provisions on bonus payments, which should always be tied to certain parameters or clearly put into the discretion of the employer. Right. And another point you mentioned is the number of vacation days. What should be considered here? Yeah, it is common practice in Japan to grant um, 20 vacation days or less. The statutory minimum is 10 days for employee who has worked for the employer for at least six months. The statutory minimum is increased up to uh, 20 days corresponding to the length of years of service. When the employee has worked for six and a half years, the employee is entitled for the maximum of uh, 20 days. Although the figures may seem rather low from a Western perspective, it should be noticed that Japan has significantly more public holidays than many other countries, which provides compensation for the low number of vacation days, at least to some extent. That's right. I think we probably have mm. uh, 15 to 16 public holidays here in Japan. And depending yeah. on uh, whether they fall mm. on a weekday or not, this really gives uh, mm. some additional uh, yeah. time off. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, what many Westerners in particular Europeans, mm. European surprises is that Japanese law does not provide for paid sick leave. Mm. 
This means that if you are sick and have to stay home, you either use your paid vacation days or you accept a prorata deduction from your salary for the time um, of your sick leave. In light of this, I think 20 days are relatively little. Yes, this is the principle of no work, no pay, which is prevailing in Japan. Although there is no statutory right to get paid sick leave, some companies allow employees to take paid sick leave and uh, the work rules for individual contracts. Yeah, we see this in particular in employment arrangements or agreements uh, or work rules of uh, foreign companies uh, to mirror the situation in their home jurisdiction. This is certainly a very attractive benefit for the employees. It is recommendable, though, that uh, the use of paid sick leave days is tied to the presentation of a doctor's certificate confirming unfitness for work. Although the system of paid sick leave is rather uncommon in Japan, Japanese doctors do issue such certificates. I think this is also important to know. Uh, but what is even more important is to find a reliable or is the reliability of the doctor's certificate, um, which, of course, can be an issue. Yes. If in doubt, the employer can have the employee examined by its own doctor, but only if this is explicitly provided for in the work rules or the relevant employment agreement. If a pet sick leave system is introduced, the employer should also make sure to have a trusted medical institution to hand for such occasions. Yeah, what you, what you say uh, again illustrates that uh, work rules uh, contain quite important provisions. One would not mm. immediately think of if, if one is not familiar with the system. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of the doctor whom you can retain to, che to check mm. if a doctor's certificate is proper or not, this could, for instance, be the clinic that uh, carries out the annual health checks for the employees, right? Yes, that is possible. Employees have to offer such annual health checks. They also have to offer a health check to those who are freshly hired those duties apply regardless of the number of employees. I think the annual health check also often comes as a surprise mm. for foreign companies in Japan. Uh, let's talk about the last point, termination provisions. We mentioned earlier that termination of employees is extremely difficult in Japan. Can proper termination provisions in the individual employment contracts help? Yeah, to a limited extent, yes. A labor contract should always provide for a termination clause that lists possible grounds for termination and the notice period of at least 30 days. However, even if such clause is included, the employer will always have to justify the termination, which in most cases is very difficult. Without the provision clearly stating possible grounds for termination, however, it is even more difficult. But I believe we will cover the termination by employment relationship in more detail in a separate uh, webinar. Yes, we will certainly do that because this is one of the most important issues for foreigners and uh, for foreign and domestic companies uh, in, the, in their fight with Japanese uh, labor law. Eriko, thank you so much for this tour de raison of Japanese labor contracts. Um, I'm sure there are many more topics we could touch upon in this context, and we will certainly do so very soon. Yes, there are many things to talk about when it comes to Japanese labor law. Many problems, but also many solutions if you tackle potential issues at the early stage. That's true. We hope that this podcast helped to ring some bells in this respect. Thanks for listening in, 
please stay tuned for our next installment and 